0: Welcome to the
1: Punk Rock MBA podcast.
0: What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA podcast. And today's guest is one of my favorite YouTubers, Metal Jesus Rocks. He is one of the OGs of the retro gaming space. He's been doing this for over 10 years now, which is kind of crazy. He's made hundreds of videos about all kinds of nerdy things that I like, like Nintendo and Super Nintendo and Genesis and Sega Saturn and Commodore 64 and dusty old obscure PC games that I love, like Fallout 1 and all that kind of stuff. And he is local, he's right here in the Seattle area, which just kind of makes it even cooler joining the team we've got here with Fluff and Jared Dines and some of the other folks. So that's pretty cool. I was excited to get him on the show because he's been doing this longer than just about anybody. So I really wanted to pick his brain about kind of how he's been able to do it and keep things going for so long because that's something I really aspire to. Super fun conversation. But before we get into that, I wanted to mention a couple ways that you can support the show if you are so inclined. Number one, just share it on social media. That really helps us a lot because the podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple really don't do much. The other thing you can do if you would like to support us is to buy some merch. There's a link to that in the show notes. I've got some pretty cool new stuff, pop punk and death metal shirts and all that other kind of stuff that I talk about on my channel or you can support us on Patreon. Patrons get every show a week early. There's a way to have me review your podcast or YouTube channel or music or artwork or anything else. There's also a very active private Discord server that I'm in all the time. So it's been fun to see that grow. And if you would like to support us over there, you can do that at the link in the show notes as well. But first, before we get into that, let's do a little bit of Q&A. From Derek Sutton, how often do you get asked to be a guest on other people's creative outlets like YouTube, podcasts, etc.? And what are the things you consider before accepting or declining? I get asked pretty often, a few times a week, and you know, usually I have to decline, not because I want to, but because I have to. Because I actually really enjoy doing them, and I, you know, I don't care whether the show has a big audience or anything like that. Like if I could, I would be on everybody's podcast. Like anybody who asked, I would say yes because I enjoy doing them and because I appreciate it so much when other people have said yes to me, especially when my platform was smaller. You know, it's really cool when you reach out and someone says yes. You're like, holy shit. They said yes. They're going to do it. This is so cool. So I love doing that. However, I also just have to recognize that there's only so many hours in the day. I have other things going on in my life. and I've noticed that every time I say yes to too many things, I start getting really stressed out and just kind of unhappy and grouchy and it just I just I hit a physical and mental limitation of how much I'm able to do. And so unfortunately, you know, if it's a a small podcast, you know, that gets a couple hundred downloads or something like that, I have to say no and you can probably hear in my voice like I feel bad saying that like I feel guilty for all the reasons I just said but on the other hand you also just like you can't say yes to everything after a certain point you just can't and it sucks but you just have to come to terms with that or else you'll get nothing done like I can't listen to everybody's band I can't be on everyone's podcast as much as I would love to I just can't What will make me say yes is one of two things. Either if it's something really big, you know, for example, I just did an interview with a guy who's writing for Polygon, which is like a huge, you know, gaming site. Um, And so the answer to that is yes, because it's Polygon. Or if it was Joe Rogan, I would say yes, like you name the time I'm there. Or if it's a really cool like angle or topic or something like that, So that's my advice for when you're pitching people is like put yourselves in their shoes of like someone who's very busy and has to say no to most things. If you have a smaller audience, what can you tell them about the nature of this conversation that's going to make them go, you know, this show looks kind of small, but I want to do it anyway because this sounds really fun. You know, if it's people who say like, I would love to have you on the show just to like shoot the shit about music, I would say no to that because I already shoot the shit about music on my channel and social media and stuff all the time. So that box has basically been checked for me. But if they say, hey, I would like to have you on to talk about something really specific that I don't talk about as much, like, but I am passionate about, like, you know, personal finance or entrepreneurship or mental health or something like that, that would be something I'd be much more inclined to say yes to. The other kind of hack that I've found is that I will say yes. If I can repost the show on my feed, that way I get some content out of it. I'll post it here as a bonus episode. Uh, And I'm also able to say yes to it. And so that kind of checks two boxes. So that's a way I've been dealing with it. But even then, I still can't say yes to everything or else I'd spend 10 hours a week doing podcasts. And I just I just unfortunately can't. So I really appreciate everybody who asks. And if I said no, uh, hopefully that explains why. But keep asking, I appreciate it. And with that out of the way, let's get into this episode. Metal Jesus, thank you so much for making time for this. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Well, I know you're a busy guy, and uh, I had to uh send the the Twitter folks after you to to get your attention. So I I apologize for that, but uh glad to have you on.
2: No, it it worked out well actually. You know, it's funny because being a fellow, you know, Seattleite in, in you know in our area here, when I saw that I was like,
0: ooh, he's a local. That's pretty cool. There's a few of us here. Do you know Fluff by any chance, Ryan Bruce? I don't. He's like a guitar Metal kind of YouTuber and there's Jared Dines over in Sammamish, so Interesting. there's a few of us.
2: Yeah, definitely. And there's uh, Peanut Butter Gamer is a really big YouTuber who lives in this area as well.
0: Oh, okay. And then of course we've got uh, Pink Gorilla, so yeah. you know we've, we've we've got a few people here. I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Well, uh, you know I've been following you for quite a while, and uh, you know it's just been so exciting to see you just kind of keep gathering steam this whole time and you know I was just looking here I, I didn't realize it looks like you have actually had a YouTube channel for 15 years now. <laughs>
2: yes, it's true. although the first four of those was like a lot of people were like I uploaded a picture of my dog and right. you know this sort of silly stuff like that but yeah I think it was like what 2010 or something like that when I was like you know I might actually try doing this for real.
0: Which was very early to make like I guess what you would call you know real produced content on YouTube. You know there was like AVGN, and that was really probably about it back then.
2: Yeah, it's true. And so the reason why I I, I even kind of had the confidence to try it, although my first videos were pretty rough, but I I knew I knew what it would take to get quality content uh, made because. Before then, I had I had actually been an intern at a local recording studio in downtown Seattle called Flying Rhino Studios. They were in Pioneer Square, and mm-hmm. and I'd also gone to school. I'd, I'd went to the University of Washington for audio production. At that recording studio, we worked on videos and also audio, and so I, I was starting to see it's like, oh, okay, that's how I could actually potentially do it myself. So uh, th- that's I, I went into YouTube with a lot of audio experience, and then. Which is the harder part, I would say. It is. And actually, I, it's funny because I think a lot of people don't realize audio is actually more important than video in a lot of cases. People will put up with kind of mediocre video, but if the audio sucks, if they can't hear it or it's too echoey or something like that, they'll almost immediately stop you know, watching your videos. And so-
0: Like your videos from 2010 are totally watchable. You know, the video quality yeah. obviously isn't as good as what it would be today, but it's not like some horrible roomy audio that just- you know, you can't handle.
2: Yeah. And that, that comes from me working in a recording studio for sure. And, and learning that. And actually what I did in the, in the early years was when I got serious about making videos, I had a goal and that was every single video that I would do, I would learn something. And so I didn't care what it was. It was like, okay, if if I'm going to learn a new keyboard shortcut or learn something about, you know, uh, color correction or making transitions or, doing animation and motion stuff like that. And so so while I was cranking out those videos, every single one of them I was learning something new and that really kind of helped me along to the point now where I know final cut pretty well. Like I could I could probably teach it at this point, you know, but it
0: yeah, I'm it sure. takes a
2: while for sure. And so that that definitely helped a lot and kind of get me to where I wanted to go for sure. And just getting good lighting and just, you know, putting a little bit of money into the channel and going, you know, I I should get some I should I should drop a couple hundred bucks here and get some decent lighting and stuff like that. You know, maybe, uh, maybe well, if comb somebody my hair. Well,
0: <laughs> if someone's listening to this and saying, well, you know, I want to start a channel, but I don't have money for gear and I don't really know that much about, you know, audio production or anything like that. What would you say to that person?
2: Well, first of all, you live in a very amazing time when so much can be done on a really good smartphone. You know, the uh, I shoot a lot of my B-roll with an iPad, an iPad Pro, mm. and uh, and also my iPhone 12 or whatever it is, you know um, the the quality of the cameras on those things is absolutely astounding. Most people don't realize actually. If you go, if you have an iPhone, you can manually go in and tell it to record in 4K. It's not on by default. And so, anyways, a lot of those sort of things. Well, just having a smartphone can get you a long ways. But like I mentioned, though, um. Audio is very important. And so that is a big mistake that a lot of new creators, not not, uh, that a lot of new YouTubers make is skimping on the audio. And for that, there's also really good solutions out there. There is the, I think it's what called, it's like the blue. It's the, Mm -hmm. I forget what that, I've never owned one, but everyone. The Yeti one? Yeah, exactly. Where it's USB powered. Um, That's a really good one for doing voiceovers or things like this. Uh, Getting a lapel mic that is key, you know, basically having a lapel mic snap to you. It's not hard to, to, they're not expensive. Well, I think a lot of people assume lapel mics would be expensive. Um, I have one that literally just plugs into an iPhone and
0: that's it. The one I use is a Rode one that they gave me for free, but I think it's like 50 bucks.
2: Yeah, yeah, lapel mics are not expensive. The other thing too, is that if you have a camcorder, get a shotgun mic. Don't use the microphone that's built into a, a camcorder or your SLR camera. Spend one hundred and twenty dollars and get a shotgun mic, which is a is a uh, I believe what they call it. it's like an omnidirectional microphone that only picks up what is aimed at
0: pretty much. So you would say spend spend a little bit on audio mm-hmm. and you know use your smartphone or whatever because the video on that's probably good enough. Absolutely. At
2: some point, you will probably want to get some soft boxes and those can be anywhere from you know one hundred and fifty bucks to three hundred dollars depending on what you get, you know. Sometimes you can even find them at like at pawn shops and thrift stores and stuff like that, if you're lucky. So uh, getting good lighting. I think about lighting, lighting is really tricky because it always needs to be a little bit brighter than you think. Yeah. You know, yeah, because <laughs> your eyes are more sensitive than cameras. And so you want it to be a, just a tad more brighter and then you can always darken it or adjust it in your video. editing. Yeah. And the other thing is too, is that speaking of video editing, I mean, like there's some amazing stuff out there. If you have a Mac, it comes with iMovie, which I use for the first hundred videos. And it's a fantastic video editor. Plus, you've got DaVinci uh, Dissolve or whatever it's called. I think that's free as well. So,
0: yep. There's a girl I like uh, named Linda Dong who has well over a million subscribers now. And I was shocked that she showed her process. She still uses iMovie.
2: Yeah, iMovie is surprisingly powerful. I mean, it's it's Apple's gateway drug into Final Cut Pro, <laughs> but it, right. it, does, it does a really good job.
0: You were pretty serious about this from the beginning then. Yeah,
2: I was. Uh, basically... I didn't know exactly where it was going to go, but once I set my mind to it, I actually treated it like a a second job. You know, again, I'd been an intern at a a recording studio, so I knew what that was like, is that sometimes you just got to put the time and effort in to kind of learn the ropes and you have to fail a little bit to learn and kind of see what works for you, what doesn't. So yeah, as as soon as I decided I was going to do it and put out a a video a week, I treated it like a part-time job. So I I was going full-time to my IT help desk job during the day, and I'd come home, eat some dinner, and then I would be learning, you know, video editing, doing YouTube from six until eleven thirty at night. Sometimes even later. Uh, I I remember distinctly. I was supposed to go to work. I was supposed to get up like at six thirty or something like that to go into work to drive into Seattle uh, downtown and and go to my my job. And while I was sleeping, I realized that there was a problem with my video. And so this is Friday morning at like three in the morning, and I was like. So sitting there thinking, you know, I mean, you know, I don't have hardly any subscribers. No one's really going to see it. But I always took the, I always had the mindset that would I show this video to a potential like employer for a job? That was my, that was my bar. Would I mm-hmm. use the video that I'm putting out today to try to get a video production job? And if the answer was no, and in that morning at three o'clock in the morning, that was a no, I got up. I uh, tried not to disturb my wife, went downstairs, reshot some footage. Um, the dogs are wondering what the hell I'm doing up so early. Re-edited the video, uploaded it, and then just got in my car and went to work for a full day. And, you know, and that video probably got 100 views. But it, that was my mentality is that I would always want it to be something that I could show to potentially get a job, really.
0: Well, tell me what you think about this. So on the one hand, someone hearing this might go, well, that sounds intimidating. Like, I don't know how to make a video that that's, that's that good right now. To me, it's less important that you can make a super polished video and more important just that you're trying your very best with everyone. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I come from a music background. I always use the mentality of of a band. If you wanted to be a guitar player in a band, how would you do that? Well, you're going to You need to learn the instrument, learn how to tune it and play some chords. And then you you basically just need to to write some songs. You need to get out there and just do it and find out what your voice is and what you're good at and what people respond to. And like in a band, you're going to go out and play at a club that four people are going to be in the audience and two of them are probably girlfriends for the band. You know what I mean? Right. And you're
0: going to, <laughs> the other two are drunk. Yeah. They, I had two, are. Dr- don't yeah. even know who are they are and they're throwing
2: beer bottles at you. And that's, yeah. that's kind of the, and that's YouTube is no different than that. And it's not just YouTube. It's really anything you want to do. Anything, anything. If you want to be an artist, if you want to do crafts, if you want to, you know, do anything that's sort of creative, you just kind of have to get out there and do it, find out what works, what your voice is, what you like to do and what you don't like to do, you know, like, in the early days, I would try to script all my videos and it was painful. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm the worst at reading a script by far. And what I, so I, but what I had to learn was I just want bullet points. And so in my videos, I create bullet points. the The flip side is like every video that I release, like the video that's coming out next Friday, it has 97 takes on that video it, wow. and it'll be about 11 minutes long.
0: So how much raw footage is that then?
2: Well, it's all audio. So what I'll do is I literally will improvise about every two or three sentences
0: based. So your videos, like your video switcher one that I watched earlier, you shot all the, I don't know if that's B roll yep. or whatever, like the, the footage that I see, yep. you shot that. And then after the fact, you're watching that video and doing the voiceover.
2: Yeah. And that voiceover would
0: be, I think for that one, there was 114 takes. Got it. Okay. And that's videos and so, 10 or 12 minutes long or something like that.
2: Yeah. And, and again, what I found was, and, and hopefully you never know that because I go in there and I move the sample, the, the takes around so that they overlap each other a little bit. So you, it sounds like one take to me. Yeah. And that's what most people think, which is awesome. Um, but that's what ended up working best for me. And, and, as opposed to me trying, because actually the, the flip side is if I try to read something, it sounds like I'm reading it. You know what I mean? Um it's just so bad. I'm supp- I suppose I could probably learn how to read scripts, but again, it's my channel. I don't really want to. So that's that's what works for me. Sure. And and that's that's kind of getting back to your point, is that you end up going, you know, for a lot of people, reading scripts is exactly the way that they go. And that's and if you can do that and you can learn that skill, that's by far way easier because you can potentially do it and 15 minutes or whatever, you know, 20 minutes, right? So
0: So this is 2010. They didn't have like the, the ad program at that time, you had to like be approved by whoever, like an individual at YouTube, right? That wasn't just open like it is now.
2: That's true. And at that time, yeah, that's why so many up and coming YouTubers joined, uh, multi-channel networks, MCNs, MCNs. And I was approached by quite a few of them. Actually, I was approached by a very large one at the time that I almost signed with because they were willing to give me 100% of the ad revenue. Oh, wow. Yeah. They actually took me out to dinner here. We met at, I think, PAX and they were pushing really hard. And at the time I was like, I mean, I was flattered, but I was also like, wow, why would they give up 100% of the, what am I missing here? Right. And so I never did join with them. I didn't join with anybody. What was the angle? Do you know? They wanted you to create, they wanted me to create original content once a month for their uh, channel or some of their clients that they would get paid on, which I see, you know, Hey, that's totally reasonable. I mean, if you are, if you are a business and you know, they deserve to get, you know, if they're providing me with some sort of service, whether it's marketing or chasing after copyright claims or whatever, you know, they deserve to be paid. But at the end of the day, I was like that, that was a hard offer to turn down. I was like, wow. Okay. And, And so anyways, thankfully You don't have to join those today. You can if you want, if 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 they provide some sort of service that you find valuable, but it's less and less today for sure. I mean, most people, once you hit the threshold for ad revenue, then it'll be turned on automatically. And that's that's a good thing, you know?
0: Yeah. So what was your goal then? If there was no clear line of sight on revenue, where did you want to go with it?
2: To get a job. And so that that's why I was like, okay, you know, maybe
0: I can use this to get a job in gaming or in video production or either video production
2: yeah so I actually applied to a couple of places a little bit too early in in that time where I was like you know I sent them samples and stuff like that and they were very polite but they <laughs> that's right I, I forgot about this so I I took one of my early YouTube videos and I got I, I sent I, there was a job posted here in Seattle area. And I replied to it and sent him my, my link to my video. And she, and she called me back, which I was like, oh, okay, cool. She's like, yeah, we're really impressed. She's like, so how many videos can you do in a day? And I was like, <laughs> a day. Yeah. I was like, a day. Uh, this one took me about a week. She's like, thank you. All right. Well, uh, we'll keep your <laughs> resume on file. <laughs> but I was shocked. I was like, what? And then it turns out, of course, that, yeah, I mean, professional video editors.
0: But you're more than just an editor, yes. though. Being a creator and an editor are not the same thing. Maybe she didn't understand that.
2: And that's what I learned from that too, is you're absolutely right, is that I was I was selling myself as an editor, but really a director, a producer, someone is captured. Basically, generally what happens is that as a video editor, they hand you a hard drive of footage and all of the notes from the shoot, and they basically just say, assemble it. You know what I mean? And you have some sort of right. creative license there to make your cuts, but you're absolutely right. And so- in a real video production company, you might have to edit two videos a day, three, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty fast. And today, to be quite honest, if someone was just to give me everything with a list of stuff to do, I could probably crank it out pretty quick. But you're right though, the vast majority of what I do in my day is capturing the gameplay footage, doing, you know, re- uh, researching what I wanna talk about, making my bullet points, recording the audio, that sort of stuff in all the editing that goes in, you know, is on top of all that.
0: So did you ever get a job in video production or did this turn into a job and that was like a moot point? Yeah, so what happened
2: was, is that, you know, ad revenue did get turned on and um, and also with Patreon as well that at a certain point I was able to, you know, the the streams kind of crossed a little bit where what I was making was pretty close, you know, on YouTube was kind of pretty close to what I was making in my, my day job. And so I was at a crossroads. Now, the interesting thing was that at the time, I was working at a, a real estate technology company that basically made a bunch of websites and all sorts of tools for real estate agents. And that was my, my day job was making sure all of that worked and you know all of that sort of stuff. But they would come to me because of my YouTube experience asking me to edit marketing videos for them. And so I was editing marketing videos on the side as well as doing my YouTube videos, as well as doing my day job. Oh man. Yeah, but it was really interesting at the time, you know, cause I was doing some pretty, cause it was different than YouTube where I was dealing with a CEO who's talking to a camera, talking about real estate stuff. And it was definitely elevating my game a little bit. I'll never forget this. They came to me with footage of him, the CEO sitting there and they shot this whole interview thing. And it turns out it's like, there's a little piece of, of duct tape that was right above his shoulder. They didn't notice it on the shoot. And I noticed it. I was like, do you guys want that duct tape there? And they're like, oh, man, we'd have to reshoot all of this. Can you just remove it? I was like, the thing is, it was, Maybe? it was all handheld. Oh, wow. <laughs> So I was like, uh, let me try anyways. And so I spent, oh my God, so much time trying to rotoscope out and color match and remove this little piece of duct tape on this talking head video, you know, of the CEO anyways, but it, it really kind of elevated my game. It made me, you know, like I had, it had, cause it was going to go in front of shareholders and all this. It was pretty wild thing, but anyways, and I was like, I was really proud of it at the time. So when it came time for the crossroads for me to decide what my next step was, I went to them, I was like, Hey, you know, you can keep me in it and help desk, but really I want to be a video editor. So just hire me to do the video. editing. And they're like, oh, our headcount and marketing is doesn't have enough room for people. And, we, we really just want to use you on the side because we don't have that many videos. And I, I totally got it. But it kind of, it, you know, it basically made me want to decide, you know, what am I actually going to do? Am I going to, am I going to sit here and, you know, just kind of flounder around or am I going to take the jump And thankfully my wife, you know, support you know, she was like, yeah, you should totally go for it. So uh, it made sense to do it. And I had a plan and all that. So
0: and for anybody who's listening who's not familiar with you, you were, you know, a grown adult at this time. So this is a little bit different than a twenty-one-year-old deciding to kind of take a flyer. Yeah, I have a mortgage, <laughs>
2: you know. Right. I have a car payment and you know uh, stuff like that. So it was, you know, it was it was scary, and it was, you know, but also too, you know, it was also scary too. I'll never forget this because you know I was trucking along. I think I had a hundred thousand or one hundred fifty thousand subscribers. I've, I was feeling pretty good about myself, and I'd given my 2 weeks notice or whatever and during the exit interview the CEO you basically would have an exit interview with your boss but also the CEO so you know last hour of my day of my last time there I go into his office and sits down and he came from Microsoft very successfully and so he was from Microsoft now he's running a technology company for real estate and I'll never forget this he sat me down he's like I think you're making a huge mistake I think you're going to crash and burn and I was like what <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I know. I was like, "Oh crap!" Thanks for the fucking vote of confidence. You know, and it was it was really shocking to hear because everyone else was really kind of hopeful and positive. And I think in his mind, he was trying to, you know, prevent me from failure. You know, because people say it all the time to musicians: "Oh yeah. man, you're gonna play guitar in a band? What? How are you gonna do How are you gonna pull that one off? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, oh, you're gonna go do art for a living? Oh, good luck. You know. So, but I was just like. I was just like, fuck you, man. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I'm going to, you know, okay, well, all right. And, and, you know, it really made me so that I am not going to go crawling back there. I am going to hit the ground running and make this thing work. And so it was a little bit of a kick in the pants to just, you know, on the way out going. Again, he and I were actually on good terms. That's why it was kind of so so much of a shock. And he liked my work, but it was just... You know, he was like, I don't know about this YouTube thing. That sounds pretty crazy, you know? (laughs) Right.
0: Well, I mean, from the other side of the table, someone in whatever their 30s, you know, quitting an IT job to do videos about retro games. Yeah. You know, I mean, on paper, that's, you know, that's kind of a, a risky thing to do.
2: Yeah, it is. Although, you know, the process of video editing and what I do, I could apply this to any channel, you know, and I've said that before, is that, you know, I could, I could, I could meet up with someone who does makeup tutorials and I could do the best makeup tutorials for them, you know, if they wanted to be on camera and, and do that. I so so the so the fundamentals of video editing that I do and most people do, I can apply anywhere in any job. And so I knew that as well because there is a little bit of an art form. It is definitely creative, and you know, it's it's more than just cutting up clips and, and stitching them together. There's definitely you know, some skill and art there. And
0: well, I think now, especially like the skill set of being a creator, I would say maybe just in the last five years or so is very in demand, like to be for, you know, there's how many founders of companies or whatever want to be a social media presence. yeah, And you kind of, they need somebody like one of us to tell them how to do it.
2: No, it's true. When I first left, I mean, everyone was like, so you're doing YouTube. How does that work? You know what I mean? They'd be like, uh, they, they want to know what the, the thing is. Right. right. And then you explain to them, it's like, well, you know, they're part of Google and they're like the second largest search engine in the world and billion users and all that. Yeah. You get paid on ad revenue and you know, it's all, but the other thing is too, is that, and it's a big portion of that is social media as well. And so you really end up having to become an expert in social media and marketing. If you're going to want to truly succeed at YouTube, because you don't want to rely on just YouTube to get your videos in front of your audience, because that is very hit and miss. The algorithm is yeah. always changing. And so uh, that was the other part of it, too, is I really wanted some control over that whole process. You know, in the old days, you would get like an email list. And yeah. nowadays, you build up a community on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram or wherever TikTok, and you have a little bit more control over your messaging. Uh, announcements of when you know what you're working on your personality your brand stuff like that
0: how much of your success do you think comes from your personality versus the topic that you you cover on that note because you know there's a million retro gaming channels out there how much of it is like that people just like you do you think
2: um you know that's hard to, to answer from inside out, you know. Yeah. So I, I you probably have to ask people who subscribe to me, but I get the sense it is definitely a big portion of me and how I pre- present myself and also the content. And getting back to my history, you know, one of the things I'm extremely good about good at is explaining stuff to people who are non-technical or all the way back from the Sierra days and the reason why I was in IT and help desk is because I am one of those people who I won't talk down to people who don't know something like that SNL skit with the the company (laughs) computer guy. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's that's the norm. Right. And also, too, when I was running a, a help desk department, that was a big part of my job was making sure the people that were underneath me who were doing help desk at people's computers to make sure that they were also, you know, being friendly, being nice, not talking down, explaining things in a way that is you know, that they'll understand, but it's not too much information and all that. So I bring a lot of that to my YouTube channel from the very beginning. I didn't assume that everybody knew what every gaming console was or every, you know, gaming franchise and all that sort of stuff. So uh, that has definitely been a big part of, I think, why my channel succeeds is because I am pretty good at sort of speaking to a wider audience for sure.
0: That has been such a, a learning for me on every business that I've worked on, Uh, I did like online education and stuff for years before I did YouTube. And what I've always found is that people are not as knowledgeable as you think they are and i don't mean that in a way Mm -hmm. of like in a shitty way like oh they don't know anything it's just like you shouldn't assume everyone knows what a pc engine is even on a retro even on a retro gaming channel with like you shouldn't assume everyone knows that because a lot of people probably don't and they will really appreciate it if you just take a minute to say for anybody who's not familiar the pc engine is blah blah blah
2: yeah no and, and you'll notice in my videos i do that an awful lot and I hope I never quite lose that because the the moment you do, the moment you're not going to bring in new viewers who may just want to learn something. And, you know, it can be kind of embarrassing when you don't know something and so they're not necessarily going to raise their hand. So you just kind of just, like you said, just take a moment to just, again, don't talk down to them. Here's the thing I learned doing help desk. And I would have to explain to some of my employees about this, you know, they would get a call from somebody who is in the accounting department who can't find an Excel spreadsheet. You know, and it's sort the of frantic and they're like, you know, it's the computer's fault. You know, I didn't do anything. That's the thing that they would always, I didn't do it. It just right. disappeared. It just disappeared. And it's a big mistake to kind of go in there and, and try to explain the Windows file system to somebody.
0: They don't care because. <laughs> right. Let me just get your spreadsheet back. Here you go. Yeah, You're all because set. You, you know what? Their,
2: their specialty and what they're paid for is to make sure that the accounting departments run smoothly so we can get paychecks at the end of the month. You know what I mean? Right. And that's that's totally fine. <laughs> but there's also a certain way if, if you find somebody who does want to know, maybe they, they want to prevent it from happening next time yeah take a couple moments out of your you know time to explain oh you probably you may have clicked this we don't you know or whatever and this is what i did yeah. to re- resolve it stuff like that so um and, and that's, that can be applied also to what i do as well you know it's funny because you know growing up in the 80s i assumed everybody by now would be very computer literate because we had to be so much growing up. We had to right. read manuals to figure out how to launch programs.
0: Installing an 18 floppy game <laughs> with
2: DOS drivers. Making a boot and... disk and understanding yeah, the difference yeah. between the you know conventional and extended memory
0: on a computer or whatever. Yeah. It's pretty hardcore in hindsight. Yeah. And then, of course, cracking stuff, too. It was a whole other, you know, doing hex edits of games and stuff to crack them and all that. I learned a lot from it.
2: Yeah. And, it, and I find that stuff really fascinating. You know, you, you hear this a lot when people get it confused between ram and hard drive space right they don't you know yeah. they for them it's kind of all the same but actually now it's kind of becoming all the same but but anyways i always assume that you know we would just be all super Ill- computer literate, but actually we're you know in many ways a lot of us don't even know like if you're using and i always go back to apple um you know, they hide the operating system from you. They hide the file system from you. They don't want you to mess with that sort of stuff. And in hindsight, actually, I think that's pretty good because that's kind of what a car turned into. You know, everyone can drive a car because they hand you the keys, you get in there. You don't even have to plug in the keys anymore. It just detects Bluetooth. And you need to know, stop and go. You know what I mean? You don't have to shift anymore. (laughs) You have lane assist. And those are all, you know, ultimately, while I do actually like to drive and I like manual gearboxes and stuff but ultimately sort of like you know uh sometimes a lot of those things are for the better you know so more people can get involved in it
1: our bodies come in different shapes and sizes so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too that's the beauty of noom they build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions medical issues and other personal needs so your plan works for you
0: And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. So one thing I've noticed, well, when I started my channel, I was 39, I think, maybe 38. And on the one hand, you know, I feel like, oh, man, I wish I would have started earlier, blah, blah, blah. I'm old, all that stuff. But on the other hand, a lot of the things that have made me successful on YouTube are because I was older and had a job before and understood how kind of the world works and knew how to deal with difficult people in difficult situations. And I've seen the same thing with some other people I know, you know, Fluff, the guitar guy, he's, I think he's probably 40 now, you know, older people, older, but like adults. I I, I wonder, I wonder if I would have been as successful if I was 21 when I, you know, started my channel and I don't think I would have.
2: Yeah. It's really, you know, that whole thing about when you should start again, gets back to a band, you know? Right. Oh, I don't know. I'm 35. It's a little late to be out, you know. Maybe it is, but you know what? You know, I always say that one of my favorite bands of all time is Kiss. They are not the best songwriters. They're definitely not the best musicians. They're all right, you know. Yeah. They're not. They're not as talented as some others. But you know what? They outlasted every all the naysayers. They basically just honed their craft. And I don't get me wrong. I love Kiss. But you know what I mean? It's like a lot of it is just sort of out. Outlasting everybody,
0: you know. Uh, I mean, so many of those bands cut their teeth playing shitty covers mm-hmm. for four hours a night for like six years before anybody ever cared about their originals. And yeah. there's something to be said for that.
2: Yeah, it's true. Is that again, a lot of a lot of being creative is learning what connects with an audience, what doesn't connect with an audience, um, how to market yourself, how you know how to make thumbnails, and you know, like for instance, for me, I used to have really long introductions. Two minute long introductions where I'd explain all the stuff. Yeah. Nobody cares, and you would see the the YouTube algorithm <laughs> where everyone's just dropping off after thirty right. seconds, you know. And uh, that's part of it. It's like, oh, I need to do a quicker introduction, and maybe sometimes I won't have to even do like my little musical intro, or you know, to to try to understand how YouTube works and to try to get people to watch as much of the video as possible, that sort of stuff.
0: I mean, just like the stuff I'm talking about is like being organized and patient and calm under pressure and dealing with people who are mad at you, like that kind of stuff that I would have handled really badly when I was 21.
2: Yeah. uh, Yeah. That's true. Is that you being online and on YouTube and on social media, you know, you're definitely going to deal with trolls and, you know, people who are going to say all sorts of crazy stuff about you. You know, they've never met you, but yet they somehow are an expert in how you're thinking or what's going on. Right. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. There is a, a component to that for sure. And, you know, I used to try to engage with people like that and try to explain. And I realized that they don't actually care. (laughs) They they don't really care what you have to say because they'll just turn it. All they want is views and their own ad revenue. And that's kind of their main focus. And so, yeah, and that comes with experience for sure is kind of how to deal with people like that and not engage, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's true is that trolls and people like that, you know, while they they can be interesting to get some sort of feedback, but you also need to know their motivations and whether they're, you know, where they're actually coming from again, just like a band, you know, Yep. In, in many ways, if I was to start a band and try to be successful playing original music, you, I wouldn't want to try to appeal to everybody because, sure. because then you end up never really going that deep with anybody. And so it's much more long-term to narrow your focus a little bit and appeal to a certain number of people who really get you and then just be okay with the fact that the people, you know, again, another one of my favorite bands is Dream Theater. Uh, I know you don't like progressive rocks. I've listened <laughs> I listened to a couple
0: of those episodes. well, I'm'm fr- I'm, but the thing is I'm friends, very good friends with tons and tons of tons of people in those bands. so I, I get it and I respect it. but uh, I just don't personally listen to it.
2: Yeah. and so my point is that again, Dream theater, they don't try to write the three minute pop song for a reason. They could. It's way beneath them. And they could,
0: and and in some ways they actually tried that early on in their career, but they're not here to please people like me. They're here to please people like their fans. And by the way, you know, they play to fucking giant crowds and make tons of money. So they're doing just fine without me.
2: Yeah. They're laughing all the way to the bank because they get it. It's like appeal to the people who, you know, like what you do, understand what you do and be
0: true to yourself. And I think a lot of that stuff will follow, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I, well, on that note, tell us about the metal side of uh, Metal Jesus. You you mentioned them. I think I saw you uh, wearing an Opus shirt or something like that in another video. Yeah. Well,
2: I'm a, my life is really split between two things. It's video games and music. And so I, I'm always listening to music. Um, and I always have because that comes from my dad being a musician and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I, absolutely a huge metal fan. But I'm also... I just like music in general like I was listening to some jazz today um you know I listen to Dua Lipa as well like her album but then Opeth, Dream Theater, uh Arch Enemy, you know it just goes down the list. I I kind of take it all in. I like old and new stuff for sure. Gotcha.
0: Well, where do those things kind of meet because I feel like there is a, there's so much crossover between those two cultures but I can't really put my finger on it. What, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, you know, when I first started my channel, I didn't think about that too much. I just knew I wanted to have the flexibility to do the videos that I wanted to do. And so that's the reason why it's called Metal Jesus Rocks as opposed to 8-bit Jesus somebody, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Very video game specific. I wanted it to be a little bit more generic. So I could potentially do some videos about vinyl pickups or, you know, things like that. You know, it, it makes sense because v- music in video games has certainly evolved and is a big part of video games, whether it's licensed music or original music created for video games. And a lot of people are really passionate about music in video games. So like when you go into pink gorilla, they're always playing in the background music from video games and, um, and also metal music because it's exciting and because it's powerful and energetic is often in racing games and fighting games and things like that. So I do think that that the people who who like video games, it's not a huge leap for them to also go out and buy the soundtrack for for that their favorite video game, just almost like you would a movie. You know, I've bought movie soundtracks for the same reason. You know, um, and in some games, even like Grand Theft Auto Vice City, they have an entire radio station dedicated just to eighties hair metal. You know what I mean?
0: Right. So, right. yeah, yeah. I kind of t- I take it sort of from the flip side of the coin of view is I I throw out a lot of fairly obscure like gaming references and stuff in my videos and people always pick them up no matter how obscure it is some random throwaway joke of some obscure character and fallout one mm-hmm. somebody's gonna get it yeah
2: that is one thing i've learned too about doing youtube like for this long is that there is always somebody out there who knows exactly what you're talking about and they probably know more because there are pe- absolutely because there are people out there who i mean are just laser focused on specific things or passionate about certain games or certain developers or, you know, or whatever, there's just always somebody out there who's going to know even more about the subject than you do. So,
0: yeah, people tell me I know a lot about music and I suppose I do, but I don't feel like it. I I actually feel kind of intimidated by how much my audience knows.
2: Well, there's a lot to know. I mean, you know, when you look at music, you're looking at what, 50 years of rock and roll, 60, 70, how long? I mean, it's been, you know, I guess, yeah, it'd be like a lot. 70 years of just rock and roll, 100 years of music in general, right? Getting back to like, you know, jazz and all that sort of stuff and country Western. And that's just here in the United States. So there is an awful lot to know. Same thing when it comes to video games. I mean, we're over 40 years old in video games and there are literally hundreds of thousands of games out there. For the PC and consoles that have been made. So you can't know it all, you know. And people who do, yep. Um, I, I it's I, I you shouldn't even really try because there's always gonna there's always gonna be someone who knows, oh, that was made by this person or was published by this, or it was released right. here in this country
0: and this the actually guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. You're like, all right, okay, yeah. that was ROM star, not whatever. All right. Yeah. So it, I think it's fine. I think if you stay humble about it, it you know. Yeah, I, I, I try, you know, I, I've learned that lesson is there's no way you can be correct about everything. So I just try to kind of say, well, my understanding is X and you just kind of got to go with that. Yeah, it used to be. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. It
2: used to be really nice because YouTube used to have this function where you could put annotations, text annotations in your video after they were up. Right, right, right. It was almost like the card section, but you could literally have a little pop-up of text and you could correct something in the video, which was awesome. But they took that away because that was that only worked on desktop. But I actually I actually told them um, like last year I was like because they were asking for some feedback I was like you know that was a really nice feature to be able to go in there when you screwed up something because sometimes my brain will you know my mouth will say something that my brain is th- is thinking something completely different that happens all the time in videos I do like I'll be doing a video on the Wii U or the Wii but. I'll mention a GameCube game because I, pl- in my mind, I play my GameCube games on my Wii. And so, right. you know, but then people will correct you for hundreds of comments. <laughs> yes. And, like, and you're like, did I say yeah, that? Like, you watch, oh, I did say and that. And the worst Fuck. part is I edited it, right? So it's like, right. <laughs> I didn't even hear it when I was editing it. That happens so often. So frustrating. But like if I get the name of some band wrong yeah.
0: and I'm like, Jesus, how did I not catch that while I was editing this? But, although, you know, you make hundreds of videos, it's going to happen.
2: Well, and you know, actually, it's like YouTube really likes engagement on videos because it's one of the one of the things that they use when promoting and suggesting videos is how much engagement is on it. So, you know, they don't care whether a video gets thumbs up or thumbs down. It's literally the last on the list. Um, (laughs) But because if you look at the trending tab, like the the top trending videos will have hundreds of thousands of thumbs down, yet it's trending on. You know, but uh, also engagement in videos. So sometimes when I screw up, I'm like. Well, I guess engagement will go up on this. You know, I'm like, you know, what can you do?
0: Yeah, could, could be worse. Yeah. Uh, there's one particular video that I couldn't find, but I wanted to ask you about. And maybe maybe this has to do with that boss who told you that you were making a mistake. I think it was your 500,000 subscriber one It was called like, so I'm a loser who lives in his mom's basement, huh? <laughs> Something like that. I think that's still up. I'm trying to remember. I just couldn't find it. I was looking for it. Tell me about the inspiration behind that kind of title. Is that something you heard a lot or is that directed at anyone in particular? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the, I, uh, yes. You know, that's
2: the thing about being a, a creator on YouTube is that everybody who watches you will, will bring their own experience and their own whatever to to that. So, you know, and I get, I get crazy stuff all the time in my videos of people who just assume They don't even know me and they'll just make these wild assumptions about my life or how I live it or whatever. And uh, yeah, you know, as I was, as I was getting popular for sure, because I'm a little bit on the older side compared to a lot of these younger channels, you know, I was getting that loser in the basement sort of thing because as far as they knew, they don't know anything about me. And so I was, I I think in that video, I was like, yeah, yes, I am in a basement, but, (laughs) and I own it. (laughs) And we bought this house because, you know, And by the way, you know, and all of them too, I was like, well, how does, you know, a lot of people were like, why does this wife allow him to have the game collection? And I was like, oh my God, like we met at Sierra. She's a gamer too. (laughs) You know, it's, it's not, I don't know. It's just, I forget the contents of that video, but I remember thinking, well, I'm just going to address some stuff that, you know, comes, comes my way and, and try to stay fun and positive about it because you can call me a loser. I don't care man i I feel like the luckiest guy in the world I mean this is you know I'm making YouTube videos <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah freaking awesome Dude, that's every time I get sort of annoyed with my audience in some way or, or another I I try to go back to that place is like wait a minute I am so grateful that anybody gives a shit what I have to say about yeah. anything yep you know and, and if I have to deal with a few rude people so what? Yeah, it it for sure, and you know, again, we live in this magical
2: time where this is even possible. You know, I mean, um, it's just it's incredible that 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 we have, and, and it's and it's it's pretty solid too. Like YouTube's not going anywhere. There's there's really no competitor like that can do it at their scale and and what they do. Like there's there's other sites that are trying to do it and they're struggling because it's so hard to do.
0: You know, I mean, YouTube spent. I mean, nobody knows, but probably tens of billions you know, yeah. invested in the site before it became profitable.
2: Yeah, it's true. And and that's why they're always tweaking the algorithm to make sure that people are watching a little bit longer, you know, and um, no, it's, it's just kind of a magical time where we have this technology in iPhones and cameras and lighting and, yeah. and video
0: editing to do this. And if someone- I mean, we're we're old enough to remember, you know, I got into like Usenet. That was my sort of gateway to the internet back in 93 or 94. and It was hard to even get on the internet back then. This was like Windows 3.1 before there was a fucking TCP IP stack. You know, it was hard. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think people, the people that complain about YouTube, obviously it's not perfect, but man, it is just ridiculous how easy everything is now compared to 10, let alone 20 or 30 years ago. Oh,
2: absolutely. I mean, real, real networks and their streaming video technology back in the day was a, five frames per second posted stamp, you know? (laughs) I think it was like 60 pixels tall. It was really small, very grainy. And and even then it felt kind of magical. It's like, wow, this is I'm I'm streaming this baseball game real time. This is amazing, right? So
0: now we're 4K live, Twitch, all this stuff. I mean, you know. And people get mad because they have to watch a couple ads in the middle. They forget that like when you watch a 30-minute broadcast TV program, there's eight minutes of ads in there. You can't put eight minutes of ads in a 30 minute video on YouTube.
2: Yeah. The ads, the ad thing on YouTube is definitely, you know, in the last couple of years, YouTube has been auto inserting more ads in Mm -hmm. videos
0: and that's doubling them up and stuff like
2: that. Yeah. It's, you know, and every once in a while I get a complaint because I just, I have so many videos. I just let YouTube do that because they, they also tailor it towards the viewer and their location and also their you know, how, how likely they are to actually leave it. So their algorithm is watching all of that stuff and navigating it. So I just let them do that. But it, you know, I personally haven't seen an ad on YouTube in years because I got the premium. And honestly, once, you know, I watch enough YouTube videos, once you go premium, it's, you'll never going back. Like it's,
0: it's totally true. I know. didn't believe people who told me that. And then I got it and I was like, yeah, I'm, this is totally worth oh, it. I,
2: I dropped Netflix and everything else before I would drop youtube premium absolutely yeah because 100 yeah it's it's so much and so i i wonder i wonder if youtube is kind of pushed using that to push people like they're basically i think they're probably saying well if you're if you're okay with ads then we're going to throw ads at you you know right because from a creator's point of view the premium model is a much better model because essentially that ten dollars gets divided up between all the channels you watch where which ends up being a, a larger percentage so i guess my point is if you want to support your your favorite creators premium is the better way to do it than ads for sure um i don't know it's just yeah it you know at the end of the day youtube has to make money they are right they are part of alphabet and they are a publicly traded company and they legally have to make money for their shareholders so uh at the end of the day that's what they're going to do
0: but correct me if i'm wrong but you don't really do too many sponsored videos do you no i've only done two in the whole time I've done it, and I and I'm sure you've had plenty of offers. Yes. What makes you not take that direction?
2: Um, because I don't want to.
0: <laughs> I you know, I guess you don't
2: need to. I mean, I don't need to. Although you know, it becomes more and more tempting because when I talk to other creators, I'm like, wow, that would you know that you
0: could make with the size of your channel yes. you could make a lot of money from them i know and and the, the, the
2: originally i didn't want to do it because i didn't really like them myself and i still really don't it bugs me when i'm watching my favorite car review and they stop to tell me about some shaver for their nutsack you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> i did a manscaped on that <laughs> yeah and so hey i get it you know but and it is, it is part of the YouTube reality because ad revenue is so low and Patreons hit or miss, you know what I mean? And so, um, and so to, to answer your question, I haven't yet because I haven't had to, but if I needed to, I would for sure. And I, I definitely, honestly, every single day I get offers and some of them are pretty tempting. I've done two in the past because they were video game related. And I, I think in most cases, one of them was was uh, game loft and it was a racing game which I was like racing game sure i'll do that um the other one it was a, oh it's another racing game from a company in brazil that's right um but th- that's the only time i ever, have ever done it and i don't know well we'll see it's it's an option for sure
0: yeah i i don't love doing them because i don't like the review cycle of going back and forth with them and like yeah. i I'm very like I don't know. I I'm very I don't know uptight might be the right word about publishing regularly, and sometimes it's like well I want to publish this on Wednesday and I haven't heard back from these guys yet. Yeah, let's get this show on the road. Like I don't have all fucking day to wait around for you to approve this video. Yeah, that's the part I don't like. But they're paying exactly. But if that's the worst of it, and uh, I don't my my you know the whole notion of my channel has been about making money as a creator. Like I talk about the business side of, you know, music and creativity and stuff like that. So um, I, I feel fortunate that I sort of, my audience has never really objected to them too much because of that, because I've always been like, well, if a band can make money doing something, they should do it. You're absolutely right. But it would be harder for you to, you know, having not done them for years to suddenly see ball shaver (laughs) sponsorships would be probably a little bit jarring for people.
2: Yeah. Although, you know, to be fair, again, all you have to do is watch YouTube and they're everywhere. So again, no, no ill will or shame towards people who have sponsorships at all. I totally get it. Um, It's, it's the smart thing to do. Um, I, in many ways I'm kind of dumb for not doing it, to, you know, because I, I do have the opportunity to do it. It's just that thankfully I don't have to do it. And you're absolutely right. I'm not really interested in the back and forth, although it's totally justified because if they're paying for something, obviously they yeah. want to make sure that their brand is on point with what you're saying and you're not going crazy or, you know, it's doing something like that. But for now I don't have to, so it is a nice place to be.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm sure you also get all kinds of offers for opportunities from the gaming industry. Mm-hmm. What makes you say, I, at least I assume you've said no to those. Uh, what makes you kind of shy away from that too?
2: Yeah, that comes up as well as that I'll get percentage share in, in links. So, you know, what I mean, like like I, I will get the opportunity for someone to be like, hey, if you want to review this thing and if you link to my website, uh, I give you some sort of, you know. 2% backer. I don't know what the details are. And it's kind of the same thing is that I appreciate that for sure, but I would want to disclose that in the video. And I don't know how the audience feels.
0: I mean, I would have to think there's somebody who has offered to hire you to run their PR team or something.
2: Not directly. Although there is a game developer who did come to me and was like, who made me a very <laughs> tempting offer. <laughs> Cause you're right. It's like, I could very easily go in and just run their entire YouTube channel and all their marketing. And that is very flattering when they do that for sure. Cause it, this developer was pretty big. I would have been making more than I am now for sure. But you know, it was very flattering but I, 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 I gently turned them down, so.
0: Isn't it cool to have the option to say no to amazing opportunities? I mean, I just feel so fortunate I am so grateful that YouTube exists as a platform because it has given me the opportunity to say no to things that at another point in my life, I would have been like over the moon to say yes to.
2: Yeah. You know, it. oh, absolutely. I mean, it, again, it, you know, I don't take anything from, for granted. And, you know, my YouTube channel will not be popular or successful forever. And so, right. and again, that's, that's part of it for me too, is that at the end of the day, I could potentially go and get a really well-paying probably marketing social media job at one of my favorite game companies perhaps. So you know, I don't know. It's just something that's always there. Again, that's kind of what I always treated my YouTube channel with, anyways, was that it could potentially be a really great resume. Mm -hmm. Because I at the end of the day, I actually really love editing videos and making videos. And so I'm very grateful that my audience likes what I do and there's plenty of content to cover and there's always new games and consoles coming out. So I'm going to try to do that for as long as possible, for sure.
0: Yeah, that's how I feel. Ride it till the wheels fall off. Well, before I let you go, uh, I'm sure you got a lot of stuff going on, so I want to be respectful of your time. But I wanted to ask you one final gaming question about uh, big box PC gaming, Mm -hmm. because that's uh, that's something that's near and dear to my heart, like, you know, OG XCOM and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I feel like that is uh, not as appreciated as it should be. What are your thoughts on that kind of corner of retro gaming? And why do you like it so much?
2: Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, I started off my channel talking a lot more about big box PC games. And I feel like it was a little bit ahead of the curve because I wasn't really getting the response I was expecting. And so, however, in the last five years or so, I'm noticing that those videos are actually doing better than I expected. So I'm actually tempted to kind of move more and cover some of that because in the YouTube space and in the gaming space, there is a lot of competition when it comes to consoles but there's Mm -hmm. not a lot of people who talk about big box PC games. And I do have a very sizable big box PC game collection. So um, it's something I'm definitely considering doing as far as for me, again, you know, I'm a, I'm a kid from the eighties. And so I had an Atari 2600 and then I got a Commodore 64. And so I was immediately into computers at that point and, and really never looked back. And then, and the thing for me is that big box PC games, I mean, they were just magical at the time you know they the, the big boxes and the artwork in there plus you the maps and the stuff. maps and little feelies and things like that plus it was a really exciting time to be a gamer because every two years it was completely changing especially in the 90s like right the ega to vga was just like whoa yeah to, to the svga to 3d acceleration to yeah. and but then also the ram was doubling every year the hard drive space was doubling uh, the internet was coming along. I mean it was just, it was a really exciting and crazy time to be a gamer. It was very tough as we talked about earlier because you had to know how to do a boot disc and you yeah. had to know what an IRQ conflict was and <laughs> you know what your settings were for the Sound Blaster 16 pro. But a lot of people like you and me are very nostalgic for it. And what's really interesting too from a collecting standpoint is it's kind of forgotten like the heyday for big box PC game collecting was about about five to ten years ago because you could find them. Nowadays, no retro gaming store stocks them mostly because they can't support them, right? Unless you know what you're doing, like you know, because I because I run into this all the time with with Kelsey. She's like, they don't have any PC games because because they can sell you a Super Nintendo cartridge and a Super Nintendo, and it'll work, right? But if they're gonna sell you a big box PC game from the exact same year,
0: you know, so you have populace on you know, three and a half inch floppies or whatever. Yeah, it, I don't know how to get that running on whatever you've got.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so they, they can't really help them with that. So, um, so, so a lot of those people don't take in the games, you know, probably the best place to find them, honestly, is like half price books, but even then it's very hit or miss, you know? So it's really fun to collect for because I feel like I'm archiving a huge section of the classic gaming genre, you know, world. So I I love it actually, and also too. I mean, I've talked about this before. I worked at Sierra Online, so right out of college, you know, I I basically very quickly after that got a job at Sierra, and at the time they were the world's largest publisher of PC games. They were bigger than Activision. I didn't realize that until you said yeah. it. like I had no idea they were that big. Massive. We were bigger than EA because EA was so big on the consoles, but. Not so much on PC. It was not the EA we think of now. No, it wasn't. And so um, Activision would be our closest competitor. LucasArts was close, but you know that was it. Man, imagine Lucas. Oh God, what if? How the turntables? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. It's, it, I'm. I'm glad. I'm glad that the, there's elements of those companies still around. You know, like Sierra. Almost everyone that I work with is now either at Microsoft, Valve, because Valve is over in Bellevue. Um, mm-hmm you know or Nintendo or some small developer you know so they're all still here making games that they're just not at sierra so
0: well, I, I realized how much of a mark I am for nostalgia of that era when I watched some lazy game review video of him, like installing a, you know, sound blaster or something like that for like 25 yep. minutes. I was like, wow, I'm sick. Yeah, I know.
2: I love his videos. He, yeah, I know. He, he does amazing stuff. I know. It's so like, funny. What am I doing? Yeah, he, he'll make a video about floppy disks or something like that. And I'm just glued. I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know it's awesome
0: all right well i appreciate your time and uh hopefully we'll get to cross paths one of these days once uh you know cons and whatnot uh come back to life and uh in the meantime uh enjoy and we'll look for your next video all right thanks man thanks for having me on take care all right my friends that does it for this episode of the podcast if you made it this far thank you thank you for listening we sincerely appreciate each and every one of you If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. The number you have reached is one hundred point
1: seven W M M S. It wasn't just a radio station; it was a life. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah, down. The wrath of the buzzer. W M M S. Cleveland.
0: The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.
1: Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast.